What's up, everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Markets with Dave Lauer. I am your co-host, Pink, and today we have two special guests joining us. We've got Afir Gottlieb, CEO of the Capital Market Laboratories, and we have Claudia Som, founder of Som Consulting and former Federal Reserve economist. Uh, you may also recognize her name from uh, recession, the Som Recession Indicator. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, you joining us. So um, I, what I'm hoping is that we're going to be having a regular uh, monthly podcast episode that it, at least in my head, I've been calling macro and markets uh, here on Let's Talk Markets. And I was wondering, I, I don't even know if I've told you that, Pink, or if I've said anything about macro and markets. And you know how sometimes- I've picked it up just being in the ether of Dave Lauer. I'm like, oh, okay, that's like, a thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes like you say something in your head and then you think you said it out loud and then you didn't say it out loud and then you get annoyed when people forgot that you didn't say it out loud. Yeah, <laughs> that just they're like, what? I've, I've built this whole thing in my head. What do you mean? And it's like, mm. so yeah, it's no, I have Macro and markets, yeah. Um, so, you know, what I, what I hope to do uh, here is, you know, we're here to talk about what's happening economically how does that impact markets? What's going on in markets? Why should everyday people and everyday individual investors care about it? We're not trying to bite off too much here, uh, right? Nice and simple. So uh, I think let's get started. I, I want to start with you, Claudia. Um, and and you know something that we, that we chatted about over email and that a lot of people uh, talk about online, which is um, there, there's a really, it seems like there's a really fundamental disconnect today uh, between the way that the economy appears in numbers that we hear from the Federal Reserve and from various, you know, accounting bureaus and, and government agencies, um, and the way economists see those numbers and the lived experience of of everyday people. Um, like when I tweet about, oh, this is a great inflation number, man. People do not agree with me on that. Eggs <laughs> are still expensive, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> You've written a bit about this. What do you think? What do you think is going on here? So it's always hard to get a pulse on the economy, right? We have a fourteen or twenty-four trillion dollar economy. We have hundreds of millions of people. Anytime you get out there and say X, there's going to be someone saying, "Oh no, not X, it's Y." You know, so we're always going to have these disagreements. It's just right now we've gone through a period since the pandemic where it has been really tough. Right. And I think when I my argument had been that this extra gloom and I, gloom is understandable. And the reason we do surveys of households is to know what they're thinking mm -hmm. and how they're feeling. Like we're not there to lecture them on how they should feel, though some of my colleagues do that or peers in the macroeconomics <laughs> community. And and yet when you look back over history and some of our sentiment surveys go all the way back to World War Two, right after World War Two. And the usual relationships between inflation and unemployment and stock prices, they, when you look at that, well, it's like sentiment's unusually low. After you've mm -hmm. taken all that into account, after you've taken the egg prices into account, right, you're still getting this more gloomy. And it's been really persistent uh, since the pandemic began. I'm going to show and, a quick, um, I'm going to share my screen, which we okay. tend to here and, and show this dramatic uh, gap in the present situation, consumer confidence versus expectations. Yes, and this particularly shows up, as you said, in the expectations. But even if you look at the total, it's it's pretty pretty gloomy still. And so, 
Then is this question of what, and I argue that we've gone through a period with the pandemic, and though you know officially the pandemic might be over, you can have some of the scars in terms of what you look for in the future. We know from the Great Depression, which was also an incredibly traumatic event, there are still scars on individuals that lived you know, decades and decades after the Great Recession because they had seen the pain of you know, betting on the stocks, right? So the idea that we could have an episode that's so jarring that it, it particularly affects our expectations and makes us more pessimistic, it's entirely, uh, you know, I can believe that. That seems yeah. plausible. The question then for, you know, the broader economy, people trying to figure out, you know, what investments to make is, well, does that translate into behavior? Like, do are we still getting out there and buying and thus there's jobs and there's investment or, or are we really starting to pull back? And that's kind of the big question because again, we don't have good measures of the economy, right? They, they can be in flux and the people could be right, you know, to some extent or particularly telling us where they're going next in terms of down. Yeah, speaking of permanent impacts of the Great Depression, uh, my mother still likes her steak well done because my grandmother would overcook everything because of what she went through back then. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's not just impacting people, it's intergenerational mm -hmm. as well. That's right. So yeah, Ofer, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, it, you, you seem to be seeing disinflation everywhere right now. Um, it, do you think that that is, the part of that is demand destruction, and it, is that sort of the the out you know the outgrowth of people's low expectations? Well, I think there has been some demand destruction. I think there has been has been some supply side um, sort of um, fixing. You know what what was once broken isn't. Um, I think it's fair for people to feel negatively about prices, even if we get a 0% inflation print, as everyone knows, inflation is a year over year measure or month over month measure. And if the price of bread went from $10 to a million dollars, and then it went from a million dollars to a million dollars and $1, well, inflation is very low, but <laughs> bread is still really expensive. Yeah. Um, I, see, um, I see reason for pessimism in the consumer because of the CEOs I talk to I'm always following SMBs, small and medium-sized businesses. Those are the heartbeat of America. I, I think I just stole a Chevy tagline. Um, uh, unintentional. Perfect for the meme, don't worry. Yeah, unintentional. Um, but I'm talking to CEOs who um, of public companies that serve SMBs in particular, let's say on the technology side, so infrastructure, cloud, platform, things like that. And it's miserable. Uh, SMBs are getting crushed. Uh, it may or may not be uh, coming through exactly in economic data yet. Uh, we do see some, I mean, the GDP, the Q2 GDP revision was, I think, pretty remarkable. Uh, that consumption was half as high as we thought it was, yet the GDP number was the same because business investment was higher. This feels like it could be a business investment recovery from a recession. Isn't, isn't that like the opposite of the narrative we've been at least telling ourselves that this has been like the consumer strength. Uh, it's it's exactly what I hear from CEOs. So I'm talking to enterprise C CEOs of enterprise software companies and almost to a person, um, they all, so, some version of July was uh, green shoots um, or better than that for those companies whose fiscal quarters end a month later. So their fiscal quarter ends in, 
July, so they could comment a little bit on August, they were even more bullish. Yet I talk to SMBs and companies that serve SMBs and it's getting worse. Hmm. So if SMBs aren't doing well, then yeah, sentiment will be low and should be low. And it, it would be, if it's true, if it's not just sentiment, it would be a harbinger of recession. doesn't mean that it is, but I see a lot of reason for that. And then of course, I hear kind of everyday consumers just saying, I don't really care that inflation is coming down. It's still extraordinary. The prices are just higher because this year over year measure is just something that we do in the market. It's not what real people feel, right? It's hard. It's hard because you become immune to it and it feels like you're, you know, you're talking about another recession coming. So we're, especially as speaking as a, you know, millennial individual investor, just everyday retail investor, um, you know, we're doom dancing from one once in a lifetime event to the next. And it's, it's, that's really reflected in these expectations, but it's hard to reflect how deep that really goes. Just that absolute almost nihilism of like, well, nothing matters. So, you know, these numbers don't matter. Um, it matters how it affects me every day. So. Yeah. Also just by the way, as Claudia said, um, pandemic was really bad. Forget economically. Like, I mean, think about where you were in April 2020. Like, what was that? We, we didn't know. Yeah. So it's just, we don't, you don't, I mean, you can heal from that, but that, that is a trauma. You don't just heal from that because, I don't know, stocks are up. 100%. That's definitely worth mentioning. I was, I was giving birth and losing a close family member. So I personally, that speaks to me as like, we all have these, these traumatic experiences that came from this, that changed us as people and what matters. I mean, we all kind of step back and looked at what really matters in our lives. So yeah, that has an effect on what we buy and how much we spend. Yeah. Or how, and how we view how, what we measure as optimism. Like, isn't it, isn't optimism, sure. tem isn't optimism tempered if two or three years ago we thought we might be done? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, generally, is. Do do you think, Claudia, that the that the Fed and you know sort of policymakers are able to incorporate some of this doom and gloom into models? Is are, do they try? Well, again, they're going to focus on outcomes, right? Like they, you know, their mandate is to get it in, you know, stable prices and maximum employment. And frankly, there are times, many times that they do that, that that doesn't make people happy, right? The, in the short term, and, and they made pretty clear that, you know, some short-term pain may be what we end up with to get the long-term gain of the, um, of the dual mandate. Now, I will say, having been someone, con consumer spending was my specialty at the Fed. And so I, as I was working on this sentiment data and looking at how disconnected it was from the usual like um, predictors, I was just thinking of a model that I ran all the time. And, and there are other things that happened with income shooting up and down with the stimulus checks. And it's like, wow, I am so glad. I am not trying to get that model to work and interpret it. It's been a very, it's been a rough ride. And the economy, when you talk about people's people's lives being unbalanced and we're trying to get, you know, back on track, the economy was thrown totally out of balance. I mean, we shut down the U.S. economy. We shut down a lot of the global economy. People couldn't spend. I mean, we talk a lot about excess savings and blame it on the stimulus checks. A lot of it was also just rich people couldn't spend. Mm -hmm. Right. Like and things open up and we get back. There's a lot of money there and not even just money. There's like pent up demand like you just want to go out and do things and we are still and there are signs potentially that we are 
much closer to rebalancing now. But there's signs that we're, you know, rebalancing can look a lot like sliding into a recession because especially the last few, everything has just been moving so fast to try and get back. So it's a, it's been a very messy um, process. And yeah, that means that all, like the models, they all break down. I mean, I was listening to an interview of the Austin Goolsby, who's the president of the Chicago Fed, and he was really warning against using models. They're all trained off of data in the past. And he's like, this doesn't look like the past. And it's like, okay, so we're following data points as they come out. This is also not super helpful and everybody can spin their favorite story. So we're, we're left in a really, really tough, tough place. And so, but again, to your question, the Fed isn't, they tried it, like we would use sentiment to do forecasting. There's no way you'd be using sentiment now. It's been like unbelievably low for three years. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't fit with the past, or at least I hope they're not using it uh, in the same way. So, um, but they're watching it. So I think, you know, when I, when I, I th let's say even before COVID, if you had thought about it and you had said, you know, how is the Fed going to come out of, you know, ZERP and quantitative easing without a recession, you know, generally speaking, how could that even be possible? How could we even have, be having that conversation? You would have said, forget about it. It's so unprecedented what we did after the great financial crisis in order to try and, you know, but, buttress the economy and the market. And, and you know, it seemed to work. And that, But, you know, you were going to have to come out of it eventually. And then you throw COVID on top of that. Um, and, you know, the, all of the knock-on effects, uh, including global supply chain issues and, and all of this, you know, you know the, the amount of money printing and stimulus that we've had to do, I, you know, it, it seems, it, if you were to sort of just take a step back, it seems almost impossible, the idea that we wouldn't end up in a severe recession coming out of something like that. And yet, you, you think it's possible, right, Claudia? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean... Uh, it, uh, I actually, I worry more and more about it not happening, just watching the labor market, it, like really is cooling off pretty quickly. And then interest rates are going up and up and up. So like, there are definitely areas of concern, but the fact that inflation has come down in a pretty steady way over the last six months and unemployment rate is still moving there down towards historical lows. That is the thing that economists would tell us and the models the Fed uses would tell us can't happen. Through the Taylor rules thrown out the window now. Yeah, well, in the Phillips curve. Now, <laughs> they the do, curve. <laughs> there is a space for supply shocks. No, hand that over on supply shocks because, but we don't have a good sense and we haven't had to do that kind of analysis in the macroeconomics for quite a while. Okay. But that's, that's the answer is this was not all demand inflation. That's right. And so over you, you, Ophir, you've seen, like I said before, you've, you've been tweeting a lot about the disinflation you're seeing, which is sort of what Claudia is saying, but you're, you think that there's well, one thing you, you, you talked about recently on Twitter was, you know, seeing rates on the long end rising so quickly that bank risk is elevated. Do you think that's the kind of shock that could tip us from a soft landing into a, a recession? It could be not a prediction. Um, any kind of, um, abrupt discombobulation in the, in our economy at large, certainly the banking system can cause disinflation. Um, it, it wouldn't be impossible to imagine that what happened 
let's say roughly speaking with the regional banks could extend further. Um, I think that one of the hardest parts about using economic data as a guidepost to where inflation may go, when we can't really use the past for our models because the stochasticity has been so abrupt and um, unprecedented that we're, we're just kind of flying blind is that you get this kind of reality where, which is a criticism of the Fed, but also what, what are they supposed to do is they're kind of treating economic data. Let's see these, you know, 10 economic reports, you know, CPI, PC, and, you know, payrolls, whatever. Um, they're using, it's, it's almost like stock prices, right? Like today's a good day, today's a bad day. So you're happy, then you're sad, then you're happy, then you're sad. It's not supposed to be like that with economic data, but what are they supposed to do? Um, so yes, I think that clearly something in the most recent summary of economic projections that came out in September, whatever it was, we can guess what it was, something shook the bond market. Like they weren't listening to the Fed, they weren't listening to the Fed, they weren't listening to the Fed, and they're like, we're listening to the Fed, <laughs> immediately. Um, and we saw, you know, almost 40 bips in long-term rate uh, rates rise, even though there was no rate movement, right? So that's acting as another rate cut or uh, one and a half rate cuts. And all of a sudden the bond market reacted. So what, what happens when the bond market reacts that fast? Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, hypothetically, we sh the economy is generally pegged to the 10 year. I mean, that's where we see auto loans pegged. That's where we see mortgages pegged. Um, equity valuations, risk premia, generally, and that thing just ripped higher. Um, what does that do? I mean, three days before Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, we all saw the same risk. Just, I mean, th there were certainly people writing about marking to market, no doubt, right? But nobody was marking the market. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did. And the same thing happened, really. I'm not comparing them other than to say that history does repeat a little bit. Is the great financial crisis. I was on, I was structuring on the countrywide desk before, like when the country, right? The famous, wow. That famous interview with Angelo Mazzillo where uh, Maria Bartiromo was there. He was, it was actually on a table. It was, it, you can't really tell on the camera, but he's sitting on a table. That table was two tables behind me. <laughs> No way. <laughs> yeah. And like, and you know, until wow. the, the CFO, new CFO came in and said, Hey, you know, we're going to take these loans on our books, which, you know, in retrospect was possibly the greatest blunder ever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we, you, you just, when things, this is the problem with trajectory, everything is moving in the right direction with, with disinflation or, or the right direction with inflation, but economic data series, time series, they, they don't, tend to just stop where you want them to. So it needs to come down, good. But if it comes down too fast and it brings other things, you don't just stop. Who says payrolls stop at 75,000? Maybe they will, that would be amazing. But who says they don't go negative? Have we ever seen negative before from unprecedented events? Yes, we have. <laughs> and it lasted for several years. Um, we couldn't get out of a recession, it seemed like, um, after the great financial crisis. So um, there's, there's reason to be concerned, but this, that's the difficult thing with economic data and fixed income, just markets in general. Like, you don't know it's a problem until you're like, oh, wow, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a problem. Yeah, no, and I would add on in that space, I do worry that I think the Fed has downplayed its role in the interest rate risk. 
You know, when they talk about Silicon Valley Bank, it's all like, oh, bad managers, bad managers. And first, it's like, if they were that bad, where were your supervisory uh, (laughs) people? Um, But the other is you raised interest rates so fast. And honestly, what we saw in the UK with the mini budget debacle, that that was a little bit of the same flavor. Like this is this has put people in a fragile position. Now, of course, you're going to you're going to grab first the ones who have made really bad decisions and haven't hedged and but you keep turning the cranks, you know, that that does have effects and for them, you know, some fed officials have been out saying like, "Oh, yeah, we see that, you know, the long rates have risen. We're going to keep an eye on that." And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, this is adding on to issues these interest rate risks. And again, like I I just find it uh, disconcerting not to see them I mean, maybe they can't own it in public, but just even acknowledging that this is in the mix, I think is because like you said, they're going to, you don't know you've broke it until it's broken. And then you can't can't fix it fast. Yeah. And you can't put the pieces back together again, unless, I mean, we got lucky with Silicon Valley bank that it spread, but it was, but it was a narrow spread. So, uh, and then you're, you made a very good point about the, what stops the dynamics like i i am very yeah i'm happy to see the labor market we're still adding jobs i'm happy to see unemployment is still low we are not in a recession we're frankly probably not unless you know the asteroid hits we're probably not like that like you know it's still months away from us um if it's coming and yet watching i watch the payroll gains you know and we're getting like the last three months kind of averaging, we get another payroll tomorrow, so timestamp me, that they're averaging about 150000 a month. That's a good number. Before, it was about 200000 This could totally be the we have rebalanced. We're kind of back to normal. The only issue is, at the beginning of the year, the payroll gains were twice that. So, And that, that wasn't sustainable, so we knew it was going to come down, but wow, that came down fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, what, what is the force that just levels it out? Yeah. And maybe it does because we're back to normal. But typically, once you get the ball rolling, it keeps going unless there's something to stop it. And that's where, you know, while I think of, we can avoid a recession, it does frustrate me with the Fed and like their forecasts, their summary of economic projections. They don't really tell the story of like, what exactly is it that's going to get you unemployment rate goes up? And then it flatlines again. That never happened. <laughs> and so, I think it could, but it it does worry me that we're not like we're not talking about it. Like, how how exactly is this going to work? Yeah, I think it's funny because um, I, I would say even up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty optimistic on the soft landing case, mm-hmm. um, and I've started to maybe come around on that and and I'm feeling much less so, but I, I, I hear a couple of data points that I think are funny. So Goldman this week came out um, with a piece and they estimated the risk of recession over the next year, just 15%. They say that's below Bloomberg consensus, which says 55%. And uh, of course I ran a poll on Twitter, which is as scientific as you can get. And uh, <laughs> my responses said 75% see a severe recession coming and only 5.6% uh, think that there's a soft landing. Um, now, you know, that that aside, one of the, the points that Goldman made was the remaining growth drag from the past Fed hikes looks small. They, they think that it's mostly baked in at this point. Um, I find that to be a very strange opinion uh, on their part because 
even if maybe like we're saying, according to traditional models, maybe most of it is baked in. We've never raised this far, this fast. We've never come out of a zero interest rate environment uh, in this way. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it really is losing uh, the complexity of what is taking place right now and the, the, non, the potential nonlinearities um, that, that might be in store for us, unfortunately. Right. When I w I'd add to that, a piece that we haven't really had to think about in the past is we've had a massive fiscal impetus and not just, you know, and it's been, it's, it's gone on and on, right? It's not just what happened in CARES through rescue plan, which is about $5 trillion. It's also, we've had, now we have an infrastructure bill, yep. the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, right? So there's this money going out, a lot of a deficit spending, uh, money going out and that, that, you know, the Fed's interest rates are pushing into that. Like all we can see is kind of the, the market outcome, like the equilibrium, you know, but we don't see what's going on under the hood. And so this argument about, well, the Fed interest rate effects, they're already in there and they've just been counteracted by say fiscal or the extra money households had in the bank, or they haven't showed up and they're coming, right? Frankly, we'll never know the answer to this question. And yet I do think the the fiscal piece, which wasn't there after the Great Recession, right? Like the fiscal was very small right. and then they actually threw it in reverse. So this time it's it's more complicated. We got multiple levels of policy working at the same time. On Goldman's forecast, I mean they they have been consistently like, we can do this and avoid a recession. And and frankly, I'm it, it's it is or close to my base case still that we can we can do this. I you know the labor market really has held up well. I said last year the, we all better hope the labor market's as strong as the Fed complains it is, right? Because we need something to like buffer their interest rate hikes. And I think largely, you know, we've seen this. It you know I, I do hear you about the ebb and flow of recession fear. I mean I'm getting exhausted. We've had at least you know. Hard landing, soft landing, hard landing, soft landing. Hard, yeah, I mean, we've done this in term for two years now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it just shows we don't we don't know, and we're we're really just clinging to every little data piece yeah. that we have, you know. So it's a yeah. But that that question about what are the lags that is so important to what the Fed's doing. Like, don't tell right. them what Goldman thinks, right? <laughs> because if they if they think that and they know what Goldman thinks, if they think those lags are short and inflation's still high they have every reason to keep, or they think they will have every reason to keep increasing rates or holding them high for a long time. Yeah, I think the lag defects are gonna start hitting pretty hard if for no other reason that <clears throat> the parts of the economy that were very sensitive to uh, rates staying, being high, we're still in this little bit, you can see this in commercial real estate, but really almost everywhere, kind of in this idea like, well, you know, this debt's coming to whatever debt, Let's say corporate debt is due in one and a half years and we can, you know, we'll refinance then, whatever. And this idea, now that the the um, longer end is going up, you start to realize like, yeah, I don't I don't think you having to refinance in a year and a half is is a buffer. It's not going to be good. And if that starts happening, that 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 is the beginnings of the way thought processes lead to what is essentially um, a contagion. Right. It's like, this is not going to be okay. I need to get out now. It actually might get worse. Is it better to get out now in an economy where people are feeling, well, the economic data looks relatively okay. If rates are going to be as 
um, deleterious to you one way or the other, but the economy is doing better now than we think it will in a year. Now you're going to start marketing the market. <laughs> uh, um, and so I, I, I agree with Claudia that the, the Fed, I also agree with her point that maybe the Fed does see the, the, the impact that they're having on the market, but they can't really talk about it. I think that's, that's also possible. They, they, they can't necessarily communicate everything they're thinking, but let's just take, let's, let's just live in a fantasy world with, with what they're communicating is what they think. It's a bit of a stretch. Um, then, yeah, I think it's okay to like ingest what they're saying and say, "Wow, they're they're not they're blind, right? <laughs> they're not seeing how much risk there is in the market." And by the way, that doesn't mean what they're doing is wrong, but just not to talk about it. I, I said a long time ago, which hopefully does not come to pass, um, that if the Fed continues to message hopelessness, hopelessness in regard to inflation. Inflation is just not coming down. It's not working. If the Fed continues to signal hopelessness, the market will oblige. The market will show them hopelessness. Market will show them hopelessness. Hopelessness is the Great Recession. I don't think we're going to face the Great Recession. The market will do it. Eventually, people that are looking at read, uh, looking at their books and saying, "Well, you know what? The Fed just doesn't believe inflation is going to come down. Rates are going to stay here." Well, here you go. And that—that's when you yeah. get an SVB and FRC, and, and you don't really know until you know, and then. You look backwards, you're like, well, all these people were saying it. Yeah, but people are always saying things all the time. There's another side of it too, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm reaching back and forgive me on this, but like back to my like macro class. But I mean, isn't inflation, like isn't the next period's inflation simply what people think it's going to be? Like it's just completely anchored to inflation expectations. And if you're not helping to bring those expectations down, you're, it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And in yeah. reverse, look at Japan. I mean, yeah. Japan couldn't get prices to go up. Like the, 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 the populace was so pessimistic that they had deflation for a long time. Yeah. So, but also just to point, keep in mind that if it's very hard to look at consumer sentiment because of how bad it's been for so long, <laughs> but, but ultimately a recession is a loss in faith. Right. So, and we don't, when does, when, when does it, when do enough people lose faith? I, I don't know. I'll tell you when there's a recession <laughs> then, but there, there is a crisis in faith that can happen and that can lead to a recession and that can also lead to a contagion on the credit side. So it's all possible. So uh, Ophir, you, you reposted this really disturbing chart on Twitter the other day that showed that the total drawdown in ultra long duration U.S. Treasury bonds now exceeds peak to trough the stock market crash during the great financial crisis. Hasn't been a good time if you're long duration. <laughs> I, you know, I know the Fed, it, it's not, I, I, well, I guess the que one question is, and to maybe to Claudia, if, if you can speak to it or, you know, what, to what extent is the Fed watching the market and watching what's taking place um, and and how does that factor into you know what whether we're going to get potentially another rate hike, which seems crazy to me and, and to a lot of people I know, or even you know to to start looking down the road at when does the next rate cut come? So the Fed works through financial markets. Right? The federal funds rate is its primary tool. It also does some of the balance sheet gymnastics, uh, but it it works through financial markets. That's its way to affect household behavior. It's the only way that it really does, and and yet its mandate has to do with inflation and employment, right? So regardless, it is in some ways it's like regardless of how you get there in terms of the mandate. That's what matters. So they're watching 
you know, they're they're watching how uh, borrowing costs in particular, but also asset prices in general, how they are moving over time, both how they're responding after the, the Fed, you know, takes a move or has its forward guidance. And then also just, you know, there are a lot of things, they don't control interest rates, particularly long rates. And, and so they're watching. And then, you know, that's the first stage. And then they're looking at it in behavior, right? And they start with, like we were talking about the interest rate sensitive sectors. And, and then it's just kind of like, you dial it up, you dial it down. I mean, there's not a precise science. They're not looking for, we want four, eight on the 10 year treasury. We want two, five on the two. I mean, like, you know, and frankly, they don't really care if things invert or do, it's just, but they're watching it, but they're watching it with an eye towards, on the dual mandate, they're watching an eye towards uh, meeting those objectives, changing behavior of, of uh, firms and, and households. I mean, they're also watching it in a financial stability uh, sense too, but kind of setting, that piece of site. But again, there, there's not like some one magic target that they have. So it's a little complicated. I think sometimes, you know, and I've met with some market investors and they're like, oh, what's the lodestar in the market? You know, like, what? I'm like, they don't, they don't love you that much. Like, there's not like this one thing. Uh, but, you know, they have to, it's, it's an imprecise, well, it's not even a science, it's just imprecise uh, in how they're trying to decide what they're doing. And right now, you know, there, there are all these unusual things happening in the economy. All kinds of relationships are breaking down. One that is particularly vexing is that some of their interest rate sensitive sectors are not behaving the way they're supposed to. Housing has been an incredibly difficult one. At this point, we should not see house prices going up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mortgage Crazy, rate. Right? Yeah. So they have to watch this behavior as it is. That means then some of the typical rules of thumb yeah, you know, th there's other things going on, and I, I think, you know, we you talked about the inflation expectations. Just circle back to that. Yeah. Uh, that I think, like on average, over time, that probably makes some sense. Economists tend to, or macroeconomists, money macro people tend to really dial that up. Like this is it, and it's all the Fed's credibility, and like this is all that moves interest rates, and mm -hmm. it's like look at the supply, look at, the, I mean, like there are things that clear, like, clearly there are moments in time where it is not all inflation expectations. And a lot of the research shows that it's very much like how, what you're seeing on the ground right now that you tend to project out, particularly for the short-term expectations. And then, I don't know. So it's, it's a way too simplified, I think, um, way to think about inflation and we don't I really don't trust in the big picture sense like the measures of expectations mm -hmm. that we have but thank goodness they've been relatively stable or else the Fed would have just <laughs> done more and more and more so um, but yeah so it's like I said it's complicated always uh, the the financial markets are just their transmission not so their so what do you think people need to be uh, you know to wrap up what, what what do people need to be focusing on right now um, in, in terms of trying to understand what the state of the economy is so that they can make, you know, the good investment decisions. Is, is there something simple? Is, that, is, it, is it impossible to, to simplify to that extent? But maybe what are you looking at to try and, and better understand? 
Do you want to go first? I would sure. I have a, <laughs> I mean, I have a saying which is turned into a mantra, which maybe I'll just get tattooed on my face. Uh, what, what the Fed thinks about inflation is the only thing that matters. Inflation doesn't matter anymore. It's what the Fed thinks about inflation is the only thing that matters. And you want to know where the economy is going to go? Good. So do we. You're, you're not going to know. There is no magic bullet. I can't tell you. But I can tell you this, what the Fed thinks about inflation is the only thing that matters. We will go as the Fed thinks about inflation. And I do not, this is the scariest part to me of the Fed right now. Um, I, I think I've been um, hesitant to criticize too much because, you know, what are you going to do? Um, let's just say, I'm just a, a total hypothetical, which is a less than, you know, it's a 18 sigma event, just an in, in, in impossibility. But I just want to point out how little we know. The um, summary of economic projections has core PC closing the year at 3.7 on a year-over-year -year basis. Okay, but I don't, don't want to argue with it. That's fine. Let's just say that. Right now it's 3.9. Okay, fine. Okay. And I don't care that over the last three months it's been 2.1. It doesn't matter. Just, okay. <laughs> what would the Fed do? Honestly, like we should have an answer to this and I'll bet you no one does. What if core PC year-over-year -year came in I'm talking year over year. I'm not. I'm not taking season, you know seasonally adjusted, quarterly, annualized. I'm talking literally the number they're talking about. What and this is not going to happen. But what if it came in at three percent at the end of the year? So a dramatic, radical, fourteen sigma move lower than anyone is expecting. It's still considerably above the long term target. Considerably, three percent is some would some would say it's fifty percent higher. <laughs> um, okay, what do we do? Because clearly, if personal, if core personal consumption expenditures, right? If the prices fall that quickly on a year over year basis. That means the month over month move is, you know, dr dramatic, radical, crazy, whatever you want to say it, negative. Maybe deflationary at that point. Yeah. More than deflationary, yeah. like, like scary deflationary. Okay. Yeah. What would the Fed do? It's not a target. It's not a target. Would, would they relax? Would they say, well, wait and see? If they wait and see, does that mean the month after that will be in all-out deflation, in a full-blown recession? Do they have time to, to, to wait? Yeah, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know because the Fed has not communicated anything other than if it's worse. We know what will happen if core PCE is 4.1% instead of 3.3%. Or sorry, it's 3.9% instead of 3.7%. Yeah, we know what they're going to do then. Mm -hmm. They'll get tighter. What happens if there's a radical disinflationary event? And again, I, I picked a number that is just so surreal that it is, doesn't, you know, just, just to make the point. I, I don't think we know. That's the scariest thing for me because ultimately it feels like, well, I shouldn't say it feels like, I think that if we get, I think we are going to get disinflation faster than the Fed is projecting. I think it has already started. I actually think we're in a disinflationary vortex already. In other words, they can't undo it without mm -hmm. a radical move. I don't know that the Fed knows what to do. You they don't think they're prepared to cut rates anytime soon? I don't think they'll cut rates if inflation is higher than target. It doesn't matter if month over month was negative 39 million percent. Regardless of the fact that that means they'll probably overshoot. Doesn't PCE year over year would be 3% in that case. I just made up a number. Yeah. Um, that's not, you can't cut. Yeah. That's, that's, not, that's above target. I don't think the Fed is ready. What happens if non-farm payrolls come in negative three months in a row? But inflation hits 3.7% here, right? Yeah. 
what if inflation is at 3.5% year over year, which is actually well below the summary of economic projections? I don't what, think we know. What do you think, Claudia? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> so I, it, it's going to be very context driven. I think, I mean, coming in at 3.5 or 3.6 for the year on core inflation is not impossible. It's right? like we, yeah. We've had some, I, what has happened, you know, we saw it with the latest summary of economic projections. We gotten all this good news on inflation. They really discounted it, right? They're banking on it being transitory. You know, we have transitory no, good news. You think, they would, you think they would learn their lesson on this. Uh, so, but if we get three, five, what did they do? Right? Like, I mean, they'll probably discount it and not carry it into next year. Um, but so there's, there's that piece. I do, the one thing I would push back on is they have communicated, though I, not clearly enough probably that they they will start cutting we don't need to be at two percent they need to be convinced that they're really moving down to two percent they've said it's got to be at least six months i mean there's been various specificity on how much but i think the point is they'll they will cut almost certainly later than they should in terms of the economic, you know, so so there's that piece. But that's if inflation is coming down notably. I do think they will react, but they'll kind of delay, like, oh, let's wait and see. You know, we want, you know, three more months of data. On the piece about payrolls start declining and inflation is kind of where they thought it was, they are not cutting, mm. right? Because they're going to get this down. And the lesson from the 70s that they feel, you know, is like is so near and dear to them now is that if if when unemployment starts to rise, you cut, but inflation is still high, it will come back even higher. So they will stay the course. But I think, frankly, the point about the disinflation, I, I don't think they're going to have to do that because inflation is going to be moving down more quickly, likely, than they think. But they're not. But it's going to take them a while to accept good news, right? Like they're just not. And, and we will pay for that, potentially. Yeah. You asked, to go back to your question to close out with that, uh, what am I looking at in terms of, and what do I think people should look at in terms of where the economy is and where it's going? I am so focused on the labor market. And in particular, I think right now, looking at these payroll gains to see if we're, if they stay gains, uh, you know, and they could go down a little, you know, around 100,000, you know, hang out around there. But if we see a, you know, really the slowing continues at this rapid pace, that's a big red flag. And the thinking behind that is, you know, the labor market, the jobs, those are the paychecks. Consumers in the United States, spend, many spend what they earn. There's 70% of the economy. If we lose the labor market, we lose consumers. And then it gets even worse in the labor market. So that's where I think the, to me, that's that's the dynamic to pay attention to GDP, all this stuff, you know, whatever. And then of course, what is what's inflation? But if you want to think about the recession, I do think the labor market is a really important place to look. Okay, perfect. Well, I think that's a great spot to end it. Uh, thank you very much, Ophir and Claudia. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I think um, this will be super interesting to watch over the next month, and I, we'll come back to it in a month, and we'll have a lot more to chew on, hopefully, and hopefully it's all pointing in the right direction. So uh, let's see. But uh, again, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in and listening to Let's Talk Markets. We appreciate all of you. And we hope your economic situation is doing all right and uh, that you have uh, the confidence what's going on and, and that uh, 
you know, the labor situation for you is working out. So uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave us a comment. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, we're, we're definitely in there. We're reading the comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to cover. Uh, we'll be back next week, I think, uh, with more of a focus on equity market structure. There's a lot going on in equity markets as usual, and there's a lot going on in Congress. And we're going to come together and talk a bit about that. So um, as always, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week.